there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the 1% Better Podcast. So quick update, the last two episodes, a couple of weeks ago I had one with Owen Tynan from St. Mel's Beer. And last week with Nancy Creedon uh, on dogs and their behaviours, both very well received. Thanks for the feedback. It was uh, really nice to see a lot of listeners from Longford Sharing podcast on Facebook and other sites and positive comments back around that as well on St. Mel's story so far. One that's continuing to evolve. I have, as I mentioned, two other podcasts recorded with other Longford folks that are nationally known and have good stories to tell. So I'll be sharing those in the coming weeks. Personally, I've just moved house, so I'm just getting my new office slash studio set up. It's certainly a an upgrade from my kitchen in my previous place. So that will hopefully allow me to record some more, get better sound, uh, release more frequently as well, uh, all going well. Right now I'm sans broadband so i'm unable to uh, upload as much as i would like hopefully that'll be solved in the next few days knowing uh, our, our service providers i have very little doubt that will will be uh, any challenge there in this episode uh, episode 19 it's with john carey of you first coaching so john is a performance coach and his company is all about performance coaching and and success he set this up in 2002 and since then has been focusing on getting improvements out of humans individually and teams and making them work better uh, and as he said, has become his life's work without sounding too la-di-da to quote John. So in this one, we get deep into performance coaching, team coaching, how to make those marginal improvements that can have a big impact. Uh, when I met John, I met him at a PMI conference where he talked about personal branding and how to actually get that little bit extra out of uh, you as an individual. That's why I saw a great connection with the the concept of the 1% Better podcast and was delighted to have him uh, come on and talk o- about his experience. John worked with the Cork Hurling team in the, the mid-2000s when they won in Ireland and then lost in the final the next year. He talks about his experience working one-to-one with many of the players from a psychological perspective and that really helped get the best out of them. The story he tells during that period of time is fascinating, so I'm sure... Uh, You'll like that, especially if you're into hurling and from Cork. Other topics we get deep into, probably satisfying my own interests here, but uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. We talk about identifying and the importance of core values, how to ask the right questions, how to become a better listener, getting out of your comfort zone, which we are in pretty much all the time, setting and achieving goals, gaining freedom through commitment, which is one of John's favourites, and he talks about the value around that and really understanding that. We go into the negative self-talk, that little voice in your head that uh, is giving you a hard time how to deal with that. Uh, Certainly good value tips for, for me there. The idea of your identity and the concept of the performance paradox. And we talk all about life and how having better quality problems is a is a good thing. So taking a step back and looking at your problems, better quality problems, uh, it's probably a sign of, of, of goodness. So 
get into details around that. At the end, John recommends a number of books, which I have uh, linked on the episode page on my site. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with John, he talks at the end, you can reach out to him on his youfirstcoaching.com website. This was really, really one of my favorite conversations, as you will detect from the questions and how long we go on. It certainly was really enjoyable. I hope you enjoy it too. As I say, if you do, please share it out on Facebook. Please share it out on Twitter. Uh, Tell your friends about it. The more this gets out to, the better. Again, John, thanks so much for your time on this. I had a a really good hour and 35 minutes recording it with you. And uh, I hope everybody enjoys it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me on. My name is John Carey. I have a company called You First. We're a performance coaching um, and success company in simple terms. Uh, set up in 2002 and it uh, was a result of, of my time and experience in business and my uh, highs and mainly lows in the sporting world. And I just basically um, became very, very interested in what makes humans and in particular teams work well versus not work so well and that's been you know without getting too lauded on it's my life's work <laughs> your life's you know. journey yeah yeah figuring so, out picking that lock so we met at the pmi event in limerick about a month ago and what i was struck by at the time is you were doing some the presentation was about personal branding and i thought it was really in the 15 or so minutes that you had been crammed into you got a lot of uh nuggets out of it and i said there's a guy that can come on to the show and Definitely deliver a 1% better uh, podcast experience, if not lots more. I know one of your exercises on the night, I think, gave people 50% more flexibility or something around that. So Yeah, well, some of them, <laughs> we, call, we call that a red X, the red X exercise. But, I mean, if, if you look at it, you know, humans are a very interesting organism. They're a very interesting um, setup. I mean, we are our, our primary... Uh, like you say in Star Trek, our prime directive is survival, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our subconscious has a very interesting way of achieving that for us. And it's been hugely successful. And, you know, the reason that we exist is that because our ancestors going back all along, you know, managed to stay alive and survive and there for generations, even though anthropologists tell us at one stage the population of humans was down to about 10,000 worldwide mm. and it could have gone e- e- either way. Um, but basically, survival is our is our primary uh, primary drive, and there's a logic that goes in the subconscious, which is that what's what's known is safe, okay, and therefore likely to lead to survival, and what's unknown has a level of risk, uh, and therefore is potentially unsafe, and therefore has a potential of uh, unsurvival or death. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're kept in the, in, in, in safe parameters, which is commonly called the comfort zone. And, it, and, and it's there for a logical reason and it works pretty well. Um, but within that, we are capable of just so much more, you know. And I mean, you know, I know we got talking after the, uh, after the presentation and, and the card struck with you, with the, with your podcast at 1% and, you know, what, what I was getting at that night and what I do with the, with the teams and the clients and the people I work with is we're actually capable of so much more. On average, when I do that exercise, uh, it's probably about a 25% improvement. Mm. Um, but you really only want 1% improvement consistently. And that makes such a difference o- o- over time in all sorts of 
uh, research and examples of it. Just the consistency makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Even you know marginal improvements, such as you know a buzz phrase recently with the British Cycling Team and uh, the, and others. Yeah. Uh, but it has it has a logic, and it's easy for us then you know to to look for a one percent improvement and one percent gain because it doesn't trigger that mechanism in the mind saying oh we're doing something dangerous one percent yeah it's a safer so yeah when i put this together i said right one if i was promising 10 percent, people could be coming back to me saying i didn't get anywhere near 10 percent better so i thought Mm. the lowest bar possible not going into 0.5 of a percent sounded ridiculous so one percent was probably the safest bet you know, although there was a there was a guy in America who uh, who was interested in um, he was interested in uh, fitness and health and and getting people exercise and obviously there's there's big issues in the Western world around obesity and movement and all of that mm-hmm. and uh, his his research basically discovered that just just getting people to start you know was really yeah. really the thing so he developed uh, a program called the three second workout plan you know right, right, right. and all you have to do is three seconds a day and you'll be yeah. started but of course once people started they just kept going mm-hmm. you know so it was never about the three seconds so having a low barrier to entry is uh, is a good way of getting getting some movement yeah ho- hopefully um you mentioned so some of the things you even mentioned there like i'm fascinated about around subconscious intuition how mm-hmm. those things are connected um reading books about it at the moment um there's this thing called the, the Zaud. I read a book called Challenging Coaching. I think it's called the Zone of Uncomfortable Debate. Mm. It gets you out of your comfort zone and mm. and the kind of challenges around that. So I'd love to get into some more maybe details around that. But um I don't have kind of sound music to kind of wind the clock back here, but I'd like to just go back a little bit. I should actually get a little snippet of steal it from another podcast maybe. Yeah, I'm sure they want to share. <laughs> but uh talk to me a little bit about um you as a, a youngster growing up and what your you know ambitions were looking forward was it was it always around you know human potential um I, not necessarily I, I you know i'm i i'm from a family of five i'm originally from 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 north cork on on the border there with tipperary and waterford um i'm the middle child i had two older brothers three steps to the stairs and then I have a younger sister, um, two years after, and 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 the youngest, my brother Liam, um, who's the youngest in the family. So I was kind of in the middle, and I was always, um, very much keep my head down, bit of the peacemaker, stay out of trouble. I was kind of a good guy, uh, the good child, you know, great for answering the phone. The aunts loved me when I'd ring. I'd say, "Oh, how are you?" And you know, I always kind of played that. Uh, Is there uh, research around the middle child that it says what? What what is the kind of characteristics or the stereotype around that? Is there anything? You know? Ah, there, there, there's bound to be. I'm not I'm not familiar with the research in that area, other than to say that I have three children now myself, and uh, when I talk to other parents, it's it's amazing the the similarities in the in in, in the traits between the eldest, the first child, and then the second child, and mm. uh, and how they operate in the world. Um, so I, I always kept the head down, but I was I was sociable, I was friendly, um, and I was I was you know I was I was good. I kept the head down, stayed out of trouble. Um, I was interested in sports. I was interested in in, in doing well. I wasn't a particularly gifted um, player by any means, um, but I was committed. I was committed, and. Um, I became kind of interested in, in, in this area and doing better in human performance and self-help. And I was always interested in the mind and the psychology mm. and, and that sort of stuff. 
Um, but really, I suppose what, what, what drove it was um, our we we played uh, seven divisional or regional finals in in, in ten years. Uh, in football or hurling or in both, both, okay. both yeah. In right. fairness, in one in one year, I think we managed to lose both the hurling and the football. What club was it? Sorry, uh, it was a club called Aragland, Aragland Rovers, who okay. were North North Cock. Um, Aragland, A R A G L I N, yeah. Okay. Um, but by by an accent of history, uh, well, according to our primary school teacher, and I assume she wasn't lying to the six year olds in the class, was that when. When the UK, uh, or when, when Britain, um, took over Ireland, um, that they divided Ireland up into the same administration format as in the UK, which was basically tax counties. Okay. So they sent the lad over and he started in the north and he divided the regional tax counties into areas with kind of natural borders and divides and that kind of thing. And, uh, he started and he worked his way down the country and originally there was supposed to be 33 tax counties in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got down to Cork and, um, he died. All right. Okay. He, 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 you know, he kicked the bucket. So, um, and they never sent anyone else over to finish the job. So by an accident of history, there was 32 counties and Cork is, you know, way bigger than every other county because he didn't have the, the last divide. But little did that man know was, you know, 800 and odd years later, he was killing my uh, sporting career because right. our GA club was in Cork, but our actual pitch, the the the, the stadium is in Waterford right. by a mile. Okay. Uh, and then about a third of the parishes in Tipperary. So what happened was we played under 12s in West Waterford mm. and then the club moved to Cork and then the Waterford lads wouldn't come and play in the Cork and then the tip lads wouldn't play in Waterford or right, Cork. Right, so right. we ended up, we ended up with a, uh, with a decent school team, but, uh, club we were, we were junior. Decimated. Yeah. They were all playing in different areas. All in right, different yeah. areas. So, uh, and then, you know, it was because it's so close to the border, you know, of each county, it becomes that much more important. And uh, our club hadn't won, the, you know, that was that was in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, our club hadn't won since the 60s. And every time we got into the final, it was a big deal. And mm. kids were making banners and this sort of stuff. So... Um, we, 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 uh, and I had three brothers and, and for one, at one stage, the four of us were on the team, but we lost all those finals. Oh. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and we were beaten, like, to be fair, we were beaten by better team, probably, you know, two, three, maybe four occasions at a stretch, but. Were they all consecutive years or was it or? Um, it was, it was, it was seven in 10 years. Okay. So I'm sure I must go back and look at the records if I want to open that painful memory. But yeah. roughly speaking, I know it was two in the one year and, um, so what, what happened was, um, over that time, mm. then obviously I went to college and I did business. I did, I was always interested in marketing, um, for some reason and did that in Limerick. And, um, then I worked in, in as the GA development officer for two years in LIT, but then I decided to go to America. Yeah. The following year, uh, I was home for my holidays late in the year. And uh, I got to sit in um, Parky Cueve where not only had we won the North Cork, but the lads went on and won the county title right. for the first time ever in the history of the club. Right, right. So I'm sitting up in the stand and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted the place has gone off its head. You would still have been at a playing age if you were Oh, yeah, I was, yeah. I, I, at that stage I was yeah. playing, you know, my claim to fame, uh, I was playing hurling and football for Cork. In San Francisco, okay. which, you know, yeah. we had the red and white jerseys, which was very important right, to right. us. But um, 
So yeah, so I went down. I remember going down into the dressing room afterwards and sitting, sitting in, going, you know, this is unreal. I said, I can't believe we lost all those, you know, games. Yeah. And you know, one of the guys goes, Yeah, thank God you left. You obviously were a jinx. Like, yeah, you yeah. Know? So I became uh, very, very interested in the how come, what, what caused us to lose that, and then go on to win, and and, and why do teams effectively beat themselves or individuals mm. or to perform and that whole area and that really is led on to the work that I do now and during the say the seven years of defeat out of the mm. ten like <coughs> were you reflecting each year on that as to why the hell did we lose this one or, or were you just at a superficial level you know not not getting into the deep depths of it yeah I suppose it was with the perspective of, of going to America and not being involved and looking back at it with a bit of space that that um, it became a little bit clearer and then the cherry on top was coming back to see him, the guys making the breakthrough, mm. you know. Um, so I think that the, the space and perspective gave a little bit into it and, 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 and like, you know, like all my best friends that I grew up with and played hurling with for, for you know, decades, um, they have a county title medal, yeah. you know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It was it was it was something that has never been done in the club before. It hasn't mm. been done since. Mm. So it's a very rare thing in our club yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. to have that. And I don't have one. You know, do they rub that in on a regular uh, basis? No? I, they don't. They don't. To be okay. fair, they don't. Uh, and again, I suppose something that's missed is, is, is maybe more valuable than something that's achieved. So it yeah. might be even more important for me looking at. It. I don't think about it every sure. day, but it, it reminds me that we, we you know, sport. Um, I say when I when I work with teams, you know, you, you you don't get what you deserve in sport because everyone deserves to have that winning feeling to come back and you know um, do their area, their team, their 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 local proud, you yeah, know, and yeah. and it runs deep. It's amazing. I've helped a lot of teams who who haven't had success for a while and then reach um, reach success, and then you'd see, you know, uh, it's not even jumping on the bandwagon a bit of success. It's it, it mm. really runs deep. It reminds me a bit of the, the field, you know, land runs deep, like success runs deep. And, and people are, are, are just looking for an opportunity to to be involved and celebrate it. And people that mightn't have been involved with the club or the team for, for decades, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. come out and it just, you can just see it in their face. It means yeah. a lot, you know. It means a lot and it's, it'll have forever, right? Yeah, exactly, you know. When I've been doing this, podcast with lots of other people and we were talking about what they're going to become successful in in some of them it it became even apparent just in the interview that you know they may have been doing stuff for a number of years and subconsciously bringing them to to the point where they said jesus i would be good at doing this as a profession or whatever so mm. when you said there you came back from the states you saw you wanted to get into the psychology of teams like for the years in college for the year in the US, were you, as a hobby, I think you mentioned about development, human development potential, was there stuff you were reading, was there anything standing out that you might have thought, like I, I always remember the first kind of self-help book that mm. I read, when I, I, I think that was like a turning point in my life, was Feel the Fair and Do It Anyway. Oh know. yeah, Susan Jeffers. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it's a bit kitsch or whatever you want to call it, but for me it was one that made a hell of a lot of sense at the time, mm. and I, I see that as a point where things started to go in a different direction after that and, and kind of move forward. Was there any, anything like that that you were reading or um, triggers? I, I, yeah, I remember, I remember reading when I was young. Uh, I don't know how young, um, but say early secondary school, 
I remember reading somewhere about um, a, a, a work that the U.S. Army had done in relation to uh, the Vietnam War and, and, you know, getting troops to listen while they sleep to the local language and dialect so they could understand. Right. So um, I, I got money for my, for my confirmation, which was, was good, a good day out. And I remember yeah. I bought a tape recorder and tapes. Okay. Um, and I used to record my um, homework. Okay. And my history and so on, and then I read it out, read, read it, it back. out, yeah, 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 and then record it, and then play it at night while I, okay. while I went to sleep. And then I don't know why I, I was always interested in factual, interesting books. I, uh, I, if I was going to read something, I wanted to gain from it. Um, you know, I didn't read fiction per se. You know, so I used to read uh, a lot of books uh, on the self help. I remember one of the guys that we. Um, Live with in college, great guy, uh, Hewing McMahon. You know, he was he, he nicknamed me Mister Self Help, like just because right. the books I was reading yeah. uh, at the time, and you know uh, Stephen Covey and all of mm. those. And I just uh, it it only takes one small thing to unlock a situation or problem, or one slight perspective. And even though we are all unique, we're all individual, and we all have our own stories and journeys. You know, I mean the human humanity has gone through a lot and there's a lot of learning out there and someone once said that that you know uh, knowledge is gained through experience but wisdom is gained through the experience of others and not having to you know pay the price for the knowledge so um, a number uh, ultimately became about the mind you, you control the mind it's it's at the top of the body for a reason it runs a show it'll make you or break you and how you use it um, determines an awful lot of, of your results and, and you can literally change your mind in a heartbeat so it's a it's a direct access to the control panel mm. you know, so I don't know if that answer your question well it just gives more insight into it anyway yeah. and definitely good to, to know like, like Covey it comes up a lot as well you know so yeah Covey kind of I mean and stuff. you know I'm, I have a, I have a wall of, um, of books on my uh, in my office, you know, whole wall of shelves. And mm. Sometimes I look back and, and I read these books. Uh, but often what I have, if I'm working with a client or somebody has a scenario or, or a situation, um, a book will come to mind mm. and I'll go, okay, right, hold on a second now. And then I'll go and find it and I'll give them to him. You know, right, and right. say, this, is, this might be worth reading because this guy or, or this person or this company yeah. may have had a similar situation and uh, just how they handle it. You know? cool. so, so sometimes I end up buying books I don't mm. know why and then six months later it'll be the right book for the person that's sitting in front of me. So coming mm. back to what you said about intuition earlier. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we're only scratching the surface of intuition. Mm. I want to get into more a little bit about that. So you, I'll be just going back to your next stage of your career you came out of oh yeah the, so the big, I, the big result and you said this is something i want to kind of study a little bit more and yeah psychology. So, so what happened was i did the marketing uh, and business then the final year i was in college i was involved in the student union with a couple of uh, friends i was into sports so i was a sports officer um which just involved getting lads out of class and and, and making sure they were at training and all the standard stuff nothing special but mm. what happened was there was a there was a full time sports officer. There was a paid job as an employee of the college in conjunction with the GA, and that particular person, whose daughter is actually friends with my middle girl now, um, she 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 left to to went to another job, and uh, so the college asked me would I take over that. So when I graduated, 
I st- I became an employee of the college for two two years. Yeah, and then um, that was that was very interesting because then I had um, eleven different teams: hurling, football, camogie, ladies' football, uh, handball teams, even. And uh, we we played in the colleges championships and cups and, mm. and, 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 and games and we had some very good players and we had a bit of success and we had plenty of failure but uh, literally it was you know um, trained 11 teams so I was a trainer for all of them I was a selector for all of them organise the bus there pick the team make the changes try and win and you know get everybody back feed them on the way and during that were you developing like, like coaching not just on the on the pitch but mental like yeah what, what happened was you know at that time then um was a very in the J world is where i started the coaching levels of coaching process so i was uh i did the first ever coaching course um to there was foundation and level one um so i did that and what i really liked about it was i liked being able to stand on the sideline and see how the corner forward was getting turned or, or, or what the tactics, what was working, what wasn't working and making a small change, whether it was a position or, or or having a word with a player saying, look, that guy is really strong in the air, so don't try and win it in the air, just get the ball to the ground or, you know, he's always going to fake to his left or whatever the case may be mm. and just give a little bit of insight that helps the player or the situation or the team. So, um what, what led on to that then is I I left that role then after two years and and went over to to uh, a buddy of mine who had moved to California right. and um, he was he was in Sacramento mm. and uh, we started there and that was great except it had one fatal flaw which was uh, in the winter time in Sacramento the frost in the morning it was quite cold right and i had this idea of the sunny beaches and you know <laughs> yeah, that yeah, california yeah. dreaming and all of that yeah. and it just it wasn't right you know yeah, we could yeah, have yeah. frosted home yeah so we decided that um we were going to move and right. uh he, he he wasn't particularly uh tied to the location um so we moved down south into san francisco and uh we both got offered the same job um got a job both offered the same job with Electronic Arts to make all the games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's still, he, Ivan still has my job now. Well, yeah, yeah, he's still over there? He's over there now. He's in charge of all their facilities worldwide. Cool. Yeah, yeah. He's married. He's two, he's two lovely kids. He's, he's a great guy. Um, but I still slag him about having my job. Right. Now, the reason he had the car... Uh, and I didn't and it required driving down. So that was okay. that was the decision made. So he still has my good job. Um so then I uh, he he got a job there and I got a job uh working with uh with Toyota with a with a company called Putnam Toyota. Um and ultimately um fairly quickly we got a you know, I had my own commercial team or sales team if you want to put another word in it. And um Toyota had a very simple metric, one one KPI which was sell more Toyota Camrys in the month than Honda sold Honda cars. That was right. it, because the Americans would only, at that time, would only buy foreign cars um, on the edges. So only where there was had been immigration previously, they wouldn't buy, they would buy um, foreign cars in, in, in the heartland. You know, they'd mainly buy trucks anyway. But yeah. uh, So it was only East Coast and West Coast. Right, right, right. And, uh, I remember particularly one day having a having a chat with one of the guys who was struggling a bit, and uh, while I was talking to him, it just reminded me of talking to the corner forward that was getting that was getting turned or played or yeah, whatever yeah. in the sporting, and just what? that yeah. that connection made. 
Does there anything, like, how does that connection come out? Do you just, because I'm fascinated about how sometimes these things come out of, no, like you remember now thinking back that conversation connected to that corner forward connection, did it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it was kind of, I wouldn't say it was a eureka moment, but it was an awareness that, God, you know, this, this, you know, ultimately one is one is a game of sport um, and another is a game of, of business, you know. Mm. So ultimately, if you look at it, everything is really a game. Um, which has certain standardized rules and certain metrics and certain measures of success. Right. Um, but if you dissect all games uh, or all versions, they're normally designed in a logical pyramid format. And if you um, if you take any game and you play by the rules of the game or the constraints, effectively a logical pyramid format is say say you take. Say you take um, soccer or, or football, right? Mm-hmm. Any sport, right? And let's say a ball, right? And uh, you're in a country and there's a, you know, there, <laughs> there, there, there's a load of, of boys and girls and they get, uh, at some stage when they're young, they get a present of, uh, of a football, right? Right, right? And they're out the back garden or out the street or wherever they are and they're kicking it around, okay? Mm-hmm. And let's say there's a million of that in, in, in the particular year, okay? And some of those will like it. And uh, someone will be good of it, and someone won't have that much interest. But let's just say there'll be a percentage of those. So that's the base layer of the pyramid. Right. Is a million who've kicked the ball. Then let's say there'll be a percentage of those, maybe 80% of those, who will be from a family and environment and like it. And then uh, that will go to some sort of an organized kicking of a ball. So a club or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll, so there'll maybe 800,000 will go to there. Right. And then. Uh, in that, then they'll normally play in their own age group, under sixes, under eights, under tens, or whatever. Um, but then the ones that are a little bit better will play with the age group ahead of them, and uh, some will drop out. So maybe in the next layer, there might be 600,000, and then it moves. So then they play with slightly better teams. They might go into more regional bases then, mm-hmm. uh, and it might drop by 50%, and it could be, say, 300,000 in, in, in the regional uh, or the county-based scenario, and then they go into a uh, bigger region, so like, you know, the southwest, east, north, and so on, and again, it might reduce by 50% again mm-hmm. so, to, to 150,000, and then they'll go into kind of national competition, um, and then there'll be maybe multinational representing their country, and again, it reduces, so the, the tip of the pyramid gets really, really small, yeah. and in all sports, ends up with one person at, at the very peak. Okay. Right, which is, say, the world player of the year or, or Olympic gold medalist or, you know, mm. um, whatever the metric is for the sport. Right. And that makes perfect sense. And it's ideal for everybody in it knows where they stand. Uh, and also anyone looking from the outside can see who's who and what's what and yeah, yeah. where's where. Right. But another way of looking at that is that's a system that's designed for every single person to fail are one person at the top with temporary success. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, you've been into America recently. Would you go into a casino and play a game where you know that the, that the deck is rigged against you? Mm. You know, mm. so then, okay, how do you play? How do you, how do you perform within an environment that's rigged yeah. against? Okay. Yeah. And, and it also raises a couple of other uh, issues. So when I'm dealing with people that are, are tend to be very successful in the sport, the margins at the top come narrower and narrower, the bends of the pyramid come narrower and narrower. Yeah. And normally the strategies from getting you from the lower levels up through the top levels 
prove to be ineffective at the higher because normally the strategy is focus, work hard, train harder, do more, hold yourself to a higher standard, mm-hmm. which will move you all the ways up. But then when you have any underperformance or you have any issues up there, going back and working harder and harder, throwing more of your time into it and so on, doesn't necessarily give you the result. In fact, it probably gets in your own way, so it starts to push you back down. And also those guys and girls tend to be particularly driven and particularly hard on themselves mm-hmm. when uh, when they have an underperformance mm-hmm. and therefore start beating themselves up mentally. And then that again starts pushing them back down the pyramid and they get stuck in this back and forth and uh, they need a bit of help to get out of that. So ultimately to perform, performance and logic are, are not exactly happy bedfellows. So there's a way of figuring out your game within that game. So it's that pyramid within that pyramid to deliver mm. the results and have control of the process that that you can control. So that whole model, is that mm. based on something you've researched, something you've developed yourself? Like obviously there's probably yeah. multiple things working together there. there, there right? There's multiple things, but um I suppose it's not it's not a model that I have got um, overtly from anywhere else is the model I've developed myself. Okay, but again, uh, you know, don't want to give away any two two trade secrets here of yourself. Or no, anything like that. no, but uh, just it's just fascinating to hear it and yeah, like you but, describe it. But like humans, you know, performance is interesting. And again, like it's only become because I failed so miserably at uh, at what I was trying to achieve myself in terms of sport. But ultimately, humans, like if, if we look at it. The, the the religion of the 21st century is is, is logic and science okay mm-hmm. um and, and it works great in the world however humans uh are necessarily purely logical and scientific so we're but, talking left brain and heavily here right yeah left yeah. brain right brain creativity yeah. intuition all of that sort of stuff but all all we know is Say, if, if we keep it simple, say the, the All-Stars, which are national awards or MVP or whatever way you want to put yeah. it, for, for a player in a position on a particular year on the, on, on, on the All-Star team or whatever you call it. Mm. Um, in my experience, I'm going to say since 2005 now, we're at 69 okay, awards. In my experience, even the best of the best, a success performance is a ratio that works out to be about 70% getting guys or girls out of their own way and then 30% doing things that just enhance marginal gains and so on. But getting out of the own way first. Um, So using car analogy, you're you're driving along, but you have a couple of notches on the handbrake. Um, And then you you fail to hit a a target or you get beaten or you get knocked back or something doesn't happen. So you you put the accelerator down even further. But, Mm. you know, you've still got the handbrake up, uh, Mm. but you're just not aware of it. Mm. So the first is is getting the handbrake down, figuring it out. Mm. Uh, What are the notches and how, how, you know, what are they for you? And then now that the car is down, okay, how, you know, maybe you need to come out of third gear into fourth gear or, you know, uh, change the revs or, or whatever needs to be. Mm. So just getting out of your own way first and then into it. And logic isn't the most useful way of, of, of achieving that, in my experience. Yeah. So what would be a tool or technique that you might use to help somebody drop the handbrake a little bit there? Mm. Or is there things that, you know, in your day-to-day that uh, 
And obviously, everybody's different. That's why uh, there's so course. many different tools uh, out there. But uh, of course, but I mean, a, a, a simple tool. So if I meet somebody, if I meet somebody in the in the sporting scenario, yeah, okay, um, I'll, I'll always start with. Generally speaking, I'll start with with four questions. Okay. Okay. Um, I was going to say I'm going to write them down, but I'm recording. You're this, recording, right? so you'll have <laughs> okay. it. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, first question is, and some people are able to say yes or no to this. It doesn't. There is no right or wrong, um, which is which is the theme that that in relation to this stuff. There's only what works and what doesn't work, and mm-hmm. figuring out both, and, and obviously logically doing less of what doesn't and more of what does. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the questions would be. You know, how do you know you're going to play well before a performance or an event, right? And playing well can be sport, but how do you know you're going to do well in the next sales presentation? How do you know you're going to do well, uh, you know, in the next whatever it is you want to perform? And some people do mm-hmm. uh, and some people don't, right? But right. In- instinctively, if you ask somebody that question, they would come back with, and I, I, I think I will or I think I won't. Yeah, uh, some people are pretty sure. Um, again, often cases they'll wrap it in logic. If I've all the work done and I've, my preparation is right and that might be. And other people say, I don't know until the first ball or the yeah. first challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or some people would say, I actually don't know, but my, you know, my father can tell me before a game. He knows if I'm, if I'm going to perform or not, you know. Right, right, right. Um, so in, essentially it's nearly outside of his own control in a way when he says that is? Well, um, yeah, he's he he or she's awareness might be attuned to what's required to yeah. doing it right. Okay, so that'd be first question. Second question: uh, So, how do you know you're going to play well? Um, what what what's your pre-game pre-performance routine? Okay, mm. and some people are very routine, and other people it just goes with the flow, and some people avoid routine at all costs. Again, there isn't uh, a right or wrong. It's just what works for this particular individual or not. Mm. The third question is what's one of the best performances in this particular sport or event or scenario that you've ever done and why? What, what makes it stand out? They've ever done? That they've okay, ever done. Right, okay, right. so what's one of the best games of soccer you've ever played or what's right. the best sale that you've ever closed or whatever the yeah. case may be and getting into that. Okay, and that gives a lot of information, right? And then the last one uh, is supposing you're starting a, a, a presentation, performance, a match, an issue, uh, you know, some sort of performance, and it starts poorly. Okay, and it's going poorly. It's going against you. It's not working the way it should. Um, in your own mind or or in reality, how do you react, and what tends to play out from there? Mm. So, if um, and and those four are the answer to those four questions will be the kicking off point in for a start. So say in the in the sporting world, a common scenario is uh, a lot of players would say, if I win the first ball, right, I win the first challenge, I mm. win the first, uh, you know, interaction between my and my opponent. I'm thinking back when I used to play, if I won the first, I'd play a striker. If I won my first flick on header, it yeah. would have an impact on the rest of the game for me. Confidence-wise. Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. right? That's, you know, that just even makes you human. I, even if I did head it out or something, you know. Yes, still, you win, you, you win. Yeah, so you, you set win up a scenario that the... the, the difficulty or the paradox with that is that if you set up a scenario that you can't control and therefore it goes against you it sets off an interesting set of events so uh, you can't control whether you win the first ball or not okay because Mm. you could do absolutely everything right and 
you know, he, he could literally get a bad bounce off the field, mm. uh, you know, hit a, hit, hit a divot or whatever and go straight into your opponent's hand or to his feet or off his head. You've done everything right and uh, yet it hasn't, it hasn't operated the way that you want it. So then you get into a scenario, you have a chat, you go, okay, all right, to the next ball, to the second ball is important. Mm. And your mind will say, okay, and again, you could do everything potentially right for the second ball, although now you've probably a bit more pressure on yourself. And again, that may not work out again, right? And again, it may not be no fault of your own. Yeah. So then you say to yourself, okay, it's, it's the third ball, right? right? Yeah. Okay? And then your mind starts saying to you, you know, it's itself, are you joking me, right? It's like you said to the first, yeah, you said yeah. to the first, now it's the second, now it's the third, like, you know, uh, you, you, you expect me to swallow this crap, like. Mm. Uh, and what happens is you get into this back and forth in your head. Mm. And meantime, the whole game performance passes you by. Next thing, it's over, and you go, "Whoa, whoa Jesus! Yeah. What happened there?" You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we part of the game within the game and figuring that out would be okay. Have the the, the more that you can control the inputs, then uh, the more control you have of your performance. Okay, mm. so. There's a phrase I heard a few years ago, and um, from from uh, from a course I was at, and it, it struck with me because I didn't understand it at the at the start when the when the uh, presenter gave it. And the phrase was, "You gain freedom through commitment." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because freedom would be a value of mine, like flexibility and so on in my yeah. life. Um, and I, that didn't make any sense. But when when we discussed it and challenged it, ultimately in the scenario here, mm. you, you you instead of saying win the first ball, you say okay, I'll go, I'll I'll commit as fully, hundred percent. I'll try as hard as I can for the first ball. Okay. Yeah. If I win it, I win it. If I lose it, I lose it. But I can do no more. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you do that, what happens is you you do everything and you don't win it. Well, then there was no more you can do. So there's no hangover for it, and then you can go on freely to the next ball okay mm, mm. however the more you commit and the harder you go for the first ball the more likely it is you're going to win it okay yeah, so you yeah, get yeah. the upside without any of the downside um so then obviously people like to win and perform and be successful and do well um but if you do all your inputs and you're controlling what you can control and you deliver everything you can then you get the result or you don't get the result but you get the freedom from either you get to move on. Mm. And using, say, that similar kind of example in your experience coaching the the, the hurting teams, right? So mm. in, in the mid of the nineties or just there around there, you were doing yeah. it. The, the so, so, so what happened was to, to bring the story up to date. So then I, I worked uh, in I, America for the two years. And, and yeah, just so I don't forget to ask a question, but how quickly would a player, in your experience, take that? on board and if their mindset has been the opposite potentially or, or, or like is it something that people absorb quite quickly because it sounds like for every challenge they need to be I always bring up kind of meditation or mindfulness or just mm. being in the moment yes and not looking back or looking forward at every time it's almost as you said like every challenge is is the game within the game mm. and that you put all those things together in your 70 minutes and it's your overall game but you're not thinking that far ahead like is that a mentality that people adopt easily or is it do they find it hard to to take on well it it varies it varies generally speaking Mm. and the higher the quality the higher the levels that the person is competing at um the 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 quicker they are to take it on 
right, okay? right, right, right. And, and, and that's uh, them at the top of the pyramid at the, the top fact of the that pyramid. they're that far up the pyramid means they've yes. maybe that so, EQ higher yeah so in, in, in simple terms and how you know I, I, I didn't design um, you know it wasn't a clever plan of mine to, to get into the sporting world as part of the work I do as I was in mm. business I mean I spend most of my time helping businesses and particularly sales teams perform at the at a peak level mm. um, but the sporting uh, thing happened by accident and that was when I so I finished uh, in America I came back in 96 and um, I came back and I settled down and and, and um, we had our first our first baby Slana and we built a house I got a I, I got a normal job I was in, in, involved in the in the car industry and involved in sales first as a salesperson and then sales manager and, and, and eventually uh, in, in start of general management um, but I came back in and then one day I called into a friend of mine in LIT uh, called in for a cup of coffee and um, said hello and he said oh just the man just the man I said what what do you want he said uh, I need a hand with uh, with with not with the second team right so mm-hmm. in 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 this particular sport, there's the the first team would be called the Fitzgibbon team. The second team would be the intermediates. Yeah, the yeah. intermediates. So I said, geez, no, I'm too busy. I have no time for that, you know. Mm. He goes, oh, no, no. He said, look, no, it wouldn't be just you now. There's three of us, you know. Yeah. So eventually, just to shut him up, like I he said. he was doing some techniques on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's like nothing that. worse when you, you know, when they use it back on you. Yeah. Um. So he said, no, no, there'd be three of us. And we, we you know. So eventually, I said, I think about it just to shut him up to have my coffee. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that was fine. So that was grand. Uh, in my mind, I had not committed to anything. Yeah. However, about two weeks later, he said, "Listen, he rang and he said, listen, you want to get your, want to get your stuff together? Your team is out tomorrow." Right. <laughs> right. So uh, I said, "Fuck it, okay." So, and this is purely from a psychological no, kind this, of motivation this, perspective. This was you were actually, picking the team. This or was actually a traditional kind of okay. training the team and right, the, right. you know being the being the coach. Okay. Um, which was, I suppose, a lot of the job that I had done when I when I had worked there a number of years earlier. Yeah. Um, so I said, okay, if I'm going to do, it, we're going to do a little bit differently, and I'll bring some of the stuff that I had learned and and was interested in into play. So yeah, uh, we had our first coaching session, and uh, we pulled the guys in together and for a training session. I said, okay, how do you want to do it? Right, this is your team. You're in college now. You know, you're we're looking at eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds. Um. You know, how do you want to train? How do you want to play? How do you want this to operate? Okay. Mm. And basically everybody was looking at their boots and no mm. answers. And, you know, they were going, I said, come on, guys. You know, what is it? You know, and it, it still get a limited response. And eventually, said, okay, how, how does it normally work? You know, one of us says, well, normally works as the coach tells us what to do, runs around, gives out to us. You know, yeah, I said, yeah. okay, how is that working for you? So we started to apply some of the norms and some things a little bit differently and we ended up um doing very well with that team okay and sounds like a you know the time to think nancy klein book thinking environment kind of giving people the the time to think think, about what they want when it's something that maybe not used to to do do. like yeah and these guys were these guys were the were in the in in the mid-tier so the very best of them could move up and then some of the guys at the lower level would drop down out of that team i mean um we are our captain of that team was turned out to be one of the uh, an all-star and a, and a super hurler for Tipperary afterwards right um so anyway at the end of near near the end of that campaign um i said to the 
my, my, my friend who brought me in, uh, I said, listen, you know, I have some stuff there that might be useful to the to the Fitzgibbon or the senior team. Right? Yeah, yeah. And um, in simple terms, he said, yeah. So there was a, a training weekend in, in, in January and um, they came up and they trained hard for the weekend. They came in and did uh, come in to me and I did a presentation on the, the mental aspects of performance. Right. right. And uh, it was maybe 50 minutes an hour. Right. And yeah. The vast majority of the people in the in the room now were really there were inter-county players. Most of them were on a, an inter-county panel. And um, as what happens often, coming back to your question on, on who 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 gets it and who quickly, at yeah. the end of that presentation, two guys came up to me and said, oh, geez, that was brilliant. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, got an awful lot from it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and the first of those was Kieran Murphy, Kieran Fraggy Murphy, who had just won in All-Ireland with Cork right. and was leaving our training weekend to jump on a plane to Brazil for the team holiday, okay, right? Nice. And the other, um, the other player who came up and said, geez, that was great, was Owen Kelly, the Tipperary uh, legend corner farmer. Yeah. You know? And and I, I've seen that pattern in, in, in many sports and many levels that the real peak uh, guys really, really latch onto it cause, mm. uh, and get it. Yeah. So what happened then was, um, I suppose, fate or whatever. Um, Kieran obviously was impressed. He went off to Brazil on the Cork holiday uh, he must have been chatting to um, John Allen, who was the new Cork manager. And uh, next thing, I got a call to say, uh, we'll hear about the work you're doing, Limerick. Will you come down and chat to us? Right. Right. So a couple of weeks later, I was down talking to the Cork holders. Um, Sim- similar presentation, first off. Very, very similar. Yeah, yeah, very similar presentation to first off. And, you know, and these like... Like I'm from Cork and hurling and this yeah, was yeah, my yeah, primary yeah. course. So I was going, whoa, you know, it's great. I was in there. And um, so met them and then worked with them for the next two seasons. Um, yeah. So we won every game. Um, bar, so we won the All-Ireland in 2005 and we won every game in 2006. Bar, we got beaten in the final by Kilkenny, um, which stopped our three in a row and started their, their four in a row right. campaign. Um, so that was a great experience, and and we're working with some super players and leaders, and Sean Oak and Don Logan, yeah. guys like that. You know, were were fantastic. So um, that then just opened me up into the whole sporting world um, in terms of mental performance and getting the best out of individuals and players and teams and that kind of thing. During those, I suppose those two or three was that. How much of your time was dedicated to working on that? Was it like, what sort of time commit? Yeah, it's, it's, well, of course, I was living in Clare. I'm living in Clare and I was right. up and down. Um, some of it is seen and some of it's unseen. Um, so I'd, I'd go to the games, I'd go to trainings, I'd do presentations, I'd work one-to-one with, with, with individuals and uh, and players. And sometimes management would say, look, um we're a bit concerned about this. Will you make how how are we with this guy and that mm. guy and so on? So and then you know you'd have players come to you outside of it. So so if you're a player and you have a medical problem, you know your tight hamstring, you'll go to the physio. You know, yeah. um, but but ultimately you want to play, you want to be picked, and you want to win. Okay. Mm. Um, so anything that potentially makes you look weak or poor or questionable. Um, in the eyes of management, you're going to hide from them, you know. Mm-hmm. So having somebody available to them who can talk in confidence and private about issues that might technically have nothing to do with hurling or the sport, yeah. 
but impact them on their lives because they're human beings. Of course. Um, you know, a lot of that is resolved by the fact that there's somebody there uh, that they don't even come to, but having to come to them, you know. So I think I think it worked it worked well because, you know, we're a good team and we had success. But, you know, you get questions like, oh, we're a bit con- worried about this. And, and then ultimately I remember it came to a question mark over a particular player uh, for the 1995 All-Ireland Final. Sorry, the 2005 All-Ireland Final. Um, and manager wants to know, should we pick him? Is he going to play well effectively? Is he going to, because um, there had been a couple of poor performances, which was unlikely for this particular individual. Right, know? right. So I did some work with him, and coming back to the questions, when do you play well, what are you doing now? Yeah, you know, and we yeah, figured yeah, out yeah, that he yeah. changed his model because he was under pressure, and before he'd read the game and he'd run the show, mm-hmm. and now because he felt he wasn't doing as well, he started man-marking his opponents and changing his style, style you know, which yeah, didn't yeah. suit him. It wasn't yeah. his strength. So mm. and he hadn't been fully aware that he'd moved and right. we brought him back. So so then, you know, the, I had to go back to management and say, okay, look, I think you should start him. I think he will play very well. I'd be very sure. The proviso is that if he isn't going to play well... Don't blame me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Play yeah. Rob. Yeah. No, no. Uh, if for some reason he's not going to, you'll be able to see it straight away so you'll know where you're standing. So yeah. your only risk is 10 minutes in a sub. Sure. Um, and um, so they were happy to take that risk. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was he was barely pipped. I mean, right. I'm a little biased, but I think he should have got man of the match. Okay. You know? He certainly he certainly had a... He was back to himself in a star performer and uh, he got an all-star that year. Cool. Um, how was... How will you measure, like we talked about metrics and KPIs, mm. something that I'm very attached to in my job mm. and just in, in general trying measuring success. Yes. What was a measure or KPI or metric that, that you were under for that? Was it purely winning the All-Ireland or was it in, at an individual player level as well? Or It was, it was a combination. It was an individual player um, and also it was team performance and... You know, I mean, ultimately, you 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 perform to your capability, which is a, a moving target, um, and it's somewhat subjective. Um, but ultimately, the the test in sport is if you play your best, and they play their best, who should win? Okay, mm-hmm. and the majority of the time, what happens is you, like we did with the club, you underperform for various reasons, and you just happened to be there giving away the result to somebody else who hasn't underperformed as much as you. Right. You know, so uh, the metrics were uh, roughly the, the, the success of the team, the success of the individuals, and the change or improvement um, of various players who, who, who needed assistance, shall we say. Okay, cool. Yeah, so somewhat subjective. Right. What were you learning about yourself during these few years and... And this is where maybe some of the one percent better tips in because I'd like to dig into yes. your values and what you've learned about yourself. And what, did you ever question your own abilities or just just things that might have come up for you? Yeah, I suppose um, that's what, what what did I learn? I suppose I learned that being able to ask the right question at the right time is more valuable than than having the answers. So. You know, nobody has all the answers, and and having an answer is almost irrelevant if the question isn't right at the moment in time. Um, 
So that would be the first thing. So it's just more about the questions and the answers. Yeah. Um, the second thing is that I think it's William James said it, um, which I often bring up which, 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 which clients, is the greatest need of the human soul is to be listened to and understood. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a rare commodity in the world. So sometimes having somebody asking a question and just leaving someone talk out loud solves the problem because it's very difficult to get awareness when you're under pressure and you're inside looking in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one tiny little tweak can make a massive difference. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like coming back to the name of this one podcast, 1%. I mean, what I, what I like about the, uh, if, we take, if we take Cork in 2006, we played all that season. We effectively won every game by one single point in a 70 the 75 minutes of performance. We we played Clare, we played Watford, we played Limerick, we beat them all by a point. Right. But uh, like we had most, all of the team and most of the subs in, in, in the Cork had sponsored the free cars from various different garages around the county. Right, right, right. right. Um, that's because we'd won the All-Ireland twice and we were most professional team or perceived to be the most professional team back then. Yeah. Right, but we only beat Limerick by a point, who had no car between all the players, and so we only beat Watford by a point, who had no car. Right, right. and we beat Clare by a point, who um, their manager had a second-hand Suzuki Grand <laughs> Vitara, right, sponsored by a local garage. So, like our margin for success and our performance margin was so tiny in compared to our our opponents or the metrics in that game, which was the consistency. And, and therefore, that marginal, consistent um, performance led to massive, disproportionate returns. Mm. So we won, you know, the boys were driving around cars, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, even more, most of the subs, like, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know. So um, small things make a big difference over time. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I've, I'm learning to do uh, when you're asking questions mm. through coaching as well is is that ability to stay comfortable with the silence? Yes. How did you find that? And did that something that come naturally to you, or did it take a while? Um, I suppose you know, going back to my own, you know, professionally, I would have done training um, in, in terms of uh, of coaching, life and business coaching, and 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 uh, corporate coaching, and so on. Um, and it's certainly a skill. It's certainly a skill. I remember listening to a um, BBC documentary and uh, he was talking, this, this guy was talking and he was, he was um, saying about listening. He said the number one thing you do, right, and he, this was a snippet out of a public talk, so the number one thing you do is, is you don't tell your own story, which goes against this whole podcast, by the way. Um, so when you're listening, uh, don't tell your story, you know, so don't jump in and, and, and say, oh, I remember and I did this and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and um, don't tell your story, don't tell your story, you know, and, and just listen and stay in the silence and give people time to percolate. Yeah. And, and, and draw out awareness, you know. And this lady um, put her hand up, you know, and she goes, what if I explode? You know, that's the, the need to get it out. Right. Like, and, 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 you know, particularly with 
particularly with, with male clients, men use words as clubs. Like So if you go with a group of guys and you're the designated driver, you're not drinking, they start and they're chatting back and forth. So it's not a conversation. It's just everybody waiting for their chance to get in and outdo. And by the end of the night, everybody's roaring and talking over each other. Mm. And it's just, you know, it's just not it's 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 not conducive in the coaching environment so yeah. the ability to 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 listen and not get in the way and it's difficult it's a skill like anything else it takes you know it, it takes practice um and it also takes a little bit of of awareness coaching teams and coaching individuals i guess is mm. another did you, in in the sporting world had you have you coached kind of individuals Yes. As well. Do you find that much different? Uh, I guess because you were coaching individuals as part of a team, but individual sports people themselves. Any yeah, uh, individual sports. Well, you know, I, so I suppose to clarify, I moved away from coaching in, in the traditional sense of, of, of training and, yeah. and, and getting a team fitness. I, I look at primarily the mental aspects yeah. of performance. Um, but yeah, individual individual. Is, is is very interesting because you can have much more control. So certain sports like golf or long distance running or mm. even amateur running. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I was with, I was at a, an event last week and we, we we had a strategic review session in the bar afterwards that lasted um, you know into into the early hours of the morning and there was one particular person there who who it was their birthday we discovered and chatting away and they were a committed runner. Is a strategic review a, diff- a name for something else? It's like a, as well? it's, it's, okay. it's a strategic review at the bar. <laughs> right. Right? Okay. Um, and, um, you know, I said, okay, we'll give you a present for your birthday. She'd ne- never, this particular person had never done a PB of, of less than five minutes. Okay. Five minute mile or something, is it? Or twice, twice whatever, yeah. particular distance over five okay. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 501, 502. And uh, so we give her a present of, of a personal best, right? Hmm. And uh, so... I gave her a particular phrase to repeat while she was running, uh, and but the agreement was that she had to do it the following evening, and she'd send me a text, give me the update, right? And um, she did, and she got she did four thirty eight, four forty, four forty one, four forty two. So she repeated it four times mm. after being out till the wee hours in the morning and drinking, and it was personal best. And that potential is there for every single person. Because mm. all she did was use her head in an organized way that releases more of your potential uh, at a particular set of tests or anything. You know? mm. So um, individuals can make massive um, strides quickly, in my experience. Uh, and also the team, the team, the team magnifies everything. Mm. Okay, so... All the good stuff in a team is magnified. That's why it's so great to win as a team. Um, however, any of the bad stuff, uh, sorry, good and bad are probably not the most useful phrase, but the stuff that works is magnified in a team and the stuff that's unhelpful or doesn't work gets magnified. So the team dynamic is is huge and the, the team atmosphere. Um, so atmosphere for uh, the group, the team, the tribe, is critical because it's like the tide of performance so if you have a high tide it doesn't matter whether you're a dinghy or a yacht or a speedboat you know you're moving up okay if you have a low tide everybody's coming down so mm-hmm. atmosphere when it comes to team dynamic and performance is like the tide of uh, of, of results and performance mm-hmm. so we get teams again to control their atmosphere not just go into a dressing room or into a pitch and see how everybody is 
take control of it, make sure you have it, and drive it on the river. Cool. Do you see patterns of blockers or challenges that people bring to you that you help unblock? Because I'm just thinking if if we're if listeners are thinking and can relate to some of the stuff we're talking about, mm. maybe there's something that typically comes up that they could actually take away and say maybe this is something we can uh, resolve based on your your insights. Is there anything that jumps to mind? Um, well, everybody operates within their comfort zone. Okay. Yeah. Um. So whatever you believe, I mean, I don't know why you want to make a difference, improve, get a higher result, perform better. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There's way more in you. Okay. Because mm. you've been set to operate within uh, within a comfort zone by your survival mechanism. Yeah. Okay? So the first thing is believe that you can, and there is, and there's no doubt it can be. Right. And the easiest access point to that is use is, is going through the mind or your head. Mm-hmm. Um. The second thing is that that reality is a very pliable substance okay what's 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 true for you um is really only true for you okay and the question is is it helping you or is it hindering you so um go back you know when when are you at your best how can you improve by one percent Go back to the, those four questions so, in a way, well, yeah i mean or one or know, two of them every, everybody's had a performance where um they would they, they were pretty happy with how they did. And if it could be like that every day, they'd be really happy. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, one of the paradoxes, there's a number of paradoxes when it comes to performance. One of them is if you want to do well in the future, start in the past. So go back to that time you did really, really well. Go back, see it, feel it here, live that, uh, lock that in, and then go forward and see yourself repeating the same thing and doing it again. You know, um, so that would be one of the par- one of the things you could use in, in, in any scenario. Yeah. In any scenario, you know. Yeah. Setting goals, how do you set goals or how you kind of help somebody define goals and, and work towards them? I think it's easy to to set a goal. It's yeah. hard to implement it, right? So, Well, it depends. You know, what's easy and what's hard is, is, is questionable. But, you know, what what is it you want to achieve, I suppose? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve, right? Okay. Um, so having a, having a goal. And, and I believe for anything is possible right literally i mean uh i love uh caroline nyad is it caroline nyad the 64 year old who's the first person to swim from florida to or from from cuba, cuba to, florida. to florida right yeah. yeah yeah who failed at 25 oh yeah i heard her ted talk on that I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i mean yeah. she's the first human in history to swim that right and survive and she's 64 year old female like yeah. who you know, failed in her prime multiple times, and, yeah. you know. Mm. Um, and she's very interesting thing in that talk, which is another paradox about performance, our humans, is that, you know, all along she wanted to have the record and want to be the first person and so on and so forth, and she always failed. This time, none of the team believed she could do it. The sports sciences said it was impossible, um, and she wasn't really sure herself, right, mm. to be honest. But she wasn't doing it for herself because the team agreed to go with her and back her and so on. She was doing it for others and she wasn't doing it for the glory. She wasn't doing it for the record. She was doing it to repay the fate of her of her crew effectively. Right. And and that got her through to the other end. So another mm-hmm. paradox is that we will do more for others than we'll do for ourselves. So link your challenge, your success, your target to um 
to, to, to benefiting of others. So I was recently working with um, with a, a very, very high-performing sales team who um, were capable of more, like everyone is capable of more, and uh, got chatting to one of the guys there. We did some collective training, did some individual coaching, and um, he had a very interesting scenario, which is he had a teenage daughter who... Like most teenage daughter thinks their father is a total embarrassment and it's uncool and hasn't a clue and all that. Right. And I experience that daily myself <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but also he had a three-year-old daughter who thinks daddy is a superhero. Right. He's just outstanding, the greatest person in the world. And he, he, you know, not like every parent loves that phase, uh, but it's particularly uh, valuable because he knows it's going to be gone and he's got the, he's got the opposite. Um, so in he, in the, in that scenario, um, we got him to, to to replace his screensaver and put the three year old and 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 know that she thinks he him as a superhero. And then his question was before he went to do a presentation. So one is, well, how would a superhero do it? What you know? How can I live up to that image? You know, and behave that way? Mm. And he just raised his standards, just you know, tweaked it a little bit, and and and, and you know he pull his own strings, push his own buttons or whatever you want to put it, mm. but he got a much higher performance result consistently. Yeah, you know? yeah so it kind of goes back to purpose, your purpose, I think, as you said there, if you are if you define your purpose purely on your own mm. benefit, yes. it might be a bigger challenge than if you yeah. define your purpose as to help others. Mm. So when... I didn't fully answer your question in terms of the okay. goals. Yeah. So... Um, the goal, whatever it can be, it can be, right? Um, whatever level and, and you can set it as high as you want. The main thing is that it's something that's important to you as part of your purpose. Yeah. It's, uh, and then the mechanism is you control the inputs, right? Um, so it, it's, uh, it's, you have control of how hard you work or how much time you put in or how many reps you do or how many calls you make or how many whatever. So you control the inputs. And you know that you can deliver those bearing acts of God. And those inputs done well are likely to lead to the output of you achieving the result or the goal. Um, and therefore, you focus on that. Therefore, you have control. Therefore, you're more likely to do it than if you commit to somebody else and you're doing it for the benefit of others, not for yourself. Yeah. And it is good for those who achieve. I mean, you know, it has to be a, a worthwhile goal you know, that, that, that benefits others value um, in doing yeah it, that there's value in doing it um then then it's a, it's a well-formed goal that you have control of and you're more likely to um to deliver on it and also it feeds in line with uh, what we talked about earlier rob which was that you gain freedom through commitment yeah. you know so you commit to all that and let's just say you don't get the you don't get the result mm. well you know um there isn't any more that you could have done so therefore you're able to walk away from it. But yeah. logic would say uh, that you do all the inputs right and you deliver everything, then you're likely to get the outcome that you, that yeah. you need. Whereas most people focus on the outcome and, you know, that, that has a lot of uh, that has a lot of issues in terms of delivery because if, if you get it, it's great, but do you really get the value out of it because was it you or was it circumstance or was it something else, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then if you don't get it, you go, you get the guilt and you go, oh, I could have done more, you know? Yeah. So you're, you're, you're caught either way. Yeah, so th that, I think you just touched on it there, that guilt, the negative self-talk. Mm. Um, I think first time I've kind of went through some sort of introspection a few years ago and talked to somebody about it and 
you know, I've given myself a hard time all the time. And she kind of said, what does that, what's that image? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, there's a, a devil on the one side of my brain with a trident, whatever that tripod yeah, thing. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. and every time I do something fucking it's stupid, not, yeah. he's like happy out. And, you know, I think I've got a, a bit better under control over the last while. But is there a tool or technique that you use in coaching people in work or whatever that, and maybe it goes back to setting too high of a goal and them feeling that it's, they're not, they're not getting there and that's where the, the negative stuff comes in. Uh, is that something that comes up a lot? It, it, it does more on, on, on individuals, um, sessions per se. Um, first thing I say is everybody has a voice in their head, right? And, and even people knowing that, but it's a big help. Everyone has a voice in their head, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. um, a technique that I've often done, um, with people who are maybe stuck or trying to achieve something and, and, and start having, a, a, an issue around that. Is that we, 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 you know, we get the voice out and have a chat with it, right? And yeah. we always say, you know, um, so think of a time and when the voice was, you know, and you made a mistake or you weren't happy, the voice was out and doing its job. But we take the voice out and we, you know, describe it and understand it. And then we ask it questions. And then we start with saying, listen, the first thing we want to do is thank you very much for the great work you've done. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're alive. Your job yeah. is to keep us safe and alive yeah. and, and yeah. away from danger, you know, and, um that's you know we want to thank you for that but now you know there's, there's going to be a few changes around here so we're going to upgrade you and we're going to give you a holiday and we're going to put you in a new <laughs> location and you know we'll call you when we want your help you know you right, can relax right. you, you you deserve uh yeah. you know you've earned it i'll take it from here sort of thing yeah like, to yeah, a degree yeah. but you know you don't be too far away because we will we'll be calling on you you know right, right, right. and um that seems to have worked well with, with, with clients. So it's yeah. slightly different because the voice is there to protect us, keep us safe, keep us alive. Prime directive number one. Yeah. So it's it's acknowledging it and knowing Acknowledging it. Saying, yeah. And normally people are going, trying to get rid of it. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I heard something or maybe it was a podcast as well where if you see somebody, there's a book I think I was reading or when you see somebody walking down the street that you might think is a mad person because they're just talking out loud. Mm. It's effectively like all of us. It's just they're vocally putting it into words as opposed to we're keeping it inside our own heads. I think it was Eckhart Tolle maybe, but yes, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, it sounds like his, his kind <laughs> of stuff. But I mean, ultimately, if for the vast majority of people, myself included, if we spoke to other people the way we speak to ourselves, <laughs> you'd be going around with two black eyes and broken nose all the time, you know, yeah, if, yeah. if you were still alive. You know? yeah, so yeah. so I think we can be a very, very harsh critic on ourselves. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously, there, there's historic reasons for that, but I think we can give ourselves a break, you know. Yeah. The other thing that uh, I use a lot more recently is... Uh, you know, people have problems. The only people who don't have problems are in the graveyard. You yeah, know, so yeah. life is about having better quality problems. You know, business is about having better quality problems. So it's it's just upgrading your problems. You know, yeah. um, and then if you have a problem and you're you're finding it difficult past it, you know, think who else would love to have this problem? I, you know, with some of the clients I work with, and say, look at Steve Jobs who died with. Eighty-eight thousand million dollars cash in the bank yeah, would yeah. love to have this problem. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but he he didn't, he can't have it he because he's not here. That. So yeah, you know, it's problems. perspective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a bit of reframing. You mentioned sales earlier on and, and reframing their mm. NLP. Have you yes. and uh, or like the sales techniques? I think NLP. I know a friend who was in sales and said they got trained on some NLP techniques and mm. it, it can be manipulative almost. Mm. Is there any of those tools or techniques or, or just techniques in general that you could share that uh, people could use in their, their day-to-day life that uh, could make them 1% better, dare I say? 
Yeah, well, you know, first of all, any tool can be used for good or for, for you know, positive or negative. Yeah. Um, it's all about uh, the intention, the outcome. I mean, sales is a very, very interesting area because ultimately it's, a, it's, it's very measurable. You can see the results, you know, like in business, a business only has to do three things. It has got to acquire clients, it's got to service, look after those clients in some way because it sold them something, and it's got to generate a profit, you know. Yeah. Uh, the acquiring clients bit really sales. Um, so that's the start of the process and uh, how well you do that as a, as a team or an individual or as a business determines to a large degree your success. So um, when working with sales teams, again, the, the whole comfort zone applies, you know, mm-hmm. we're operating way below what we're capable of. But firstly, you know, is your product or service of benefit to the clients? Are they better off with it, Right. And if the answer is no, don't sell it to them and find something that, you know, if you can't enjoy, if you don't believe in what it is you're selling, then you're you're trying to pull a manipulation. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the currency of the 21st century, and I think it's going to be more and more so as the pace of, uh, of the world increases, the currency of the 21st century is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And we are all becoming more and more attuned to... Uh, authenticity and particularly the lack of it you know we might know it largely but again the gut feel or the intuition picks it up big time yeah. so um, if you don't really believe in it don't do it yeah. okay and if it's not for the if it's not you know sales ultimately now is, is, is really a transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another if you can't believe you can't be enthusiastic you're trying to manipulate it won't work mm. uh, the second thing then is that it's really we're, we're we're in the relationship world. All sales are the vast majority of sales are relationships, okay, and the relationship has to be for their benefit, not your benefit, okay. And so if you can build relationships, and people like to build relationships with people that are looking out for them, you know. So mm-hmm. who are you looking out for, and how and how does it work? Um, and again, like the like the example we gave earlier on. So if you're going to a presentation, when is the last time you made a really good sale? And it mightn't be the previous per- person you spoke to or the previous one or the previous one, but you made a good one last week. So think about that sale and relive that before you go in and repeat for the next one. And that will guarantee you raise your, raise your performance. Again, you may not get the sale, you may not get the results, but you're not in control of that. You're in control of your input, the output will come. But the better you perform, the better you deliver, the more enthusiastic you are, the more you care about your customer, the better it is for them, the more likely you are to get the result. Yeah. One thing that struck me there is customer, like you said, the currency of the 21st century is authentic, authenticity. And yes. uh, and I, I totally agree. And I think customer service or how the customer treats the client, that mm. ties into that is massive. For some reason yesterday, and I, I, all, I notice this a lot, I go to Aldi, and I don't mind saying it outright. Mm. And I always notice when you go to Aldi, the people the, the working at the, the tills are extremely friendly, much more overtly, <laughs> bless you, than than, uh, than anywhere else. And I always find that authentic and it strikes a chord with me. And it's the simplest thing in the world and it mm. makes me go back. But I think that's a big a big currency as well yeah. uh, tied into I, I mean, there's a lot to be learned from, from, from them. I mean, they have, uh, they have a few simple things. I was at cardboard boxes i use all the time that was one tr- trick you know so i've never i never buy a bag or bring a bag mm. to aldi i just get uh one of their like chicken boxes then walk around and b- carry everything out with that it yeah. saves you fortunes. <laughs> but they have some interesting thing they're a hugely profitable business and, yeah but 
you know, one of their one of their things for their staff is if you have a Christmas party or when you have a party, the store is a party, you have the following day off. Yeah, right, yeah. the whole store closes. Like, does it? No, no, oh, no they just rotate. They it. just bring people in um, who run the store for a day, and uh, because all the shelving, the safe, the office, everything's identical. Cookie it's all cutter, set up. Yeah. Anybody can come in and do it. You know, yeah. whereas the other, you know, things they have a Christmas party, they have to work the final day, or someone has to go in and cover it. And you know, it's, there's loads of small things. They're they're, yeah. they're an interesting they're an interesting organisation, a hugely hugely successful. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, just they one lot, you know. And again, if you're if you're a manager with them, you train in all the different things, uh, you know, the different areas, HR, you know, uh, stock, and so on, and so forth. So you get a broad, you know understanding of, of their business and their model is you know you work hard we'll reward you yeah that's fair which is you know, great you know, like you, you know what you're getting either. yeah yeah exactly kind of skirted around it, this one of decision making yes and and this is where maybe we can touch on intuition or not as the mm. case may be for fairy dancers how do you approach decision making is it you know it's a combination i probably i'll say no more because i'll only lead it yeah answer a little well bit. I, I would say with, with with business clients with the majority of clients that i work with i would uh, generally have a rule a rule but uh now i would say like look 99 percent of the time follow your intuition okay because intuition you know i mean there's a lot of research um happening around that area but ultimately in the whole field of quantum physics and all that it's just saying you know about biolocation and, and, and all that i mean ultimate intuition really uh is getting a sense of information that you don't have at a logical level or that you're not aware of that gives you a uh, guidance to do something or don't do it yeah. So, so literally, you can ask your intuition a question, you know, and, there, and there's ways of doing that. Mm. In terms of making logical decisions with clients, um, there's two tools which, which anybody can use, I think, are very, very valuable, very useful. Uh, the first tool is a simple one, it's called the Wheel of Life, mm -hmm. um, which gives you a, an awareness or understanding of where you currently are at this moment in time. Again, Google Images and you'll pick up thousands of these. Yeah. Um, so it's always good to know your starting point, to know your current, you know, your current position. The second one um, is is a values exercise, okay? And there's a sheet you can get which maybe has a hundred values yeah. on it. The one you use, mm -hmm. and um, values are kind of your internal guidepost or internal rules of what's what's important and not important to you. Um, and we develop them over over time, particularly when we're young. So. Um, if you can get, say, your top 10 or 12 values and narrow it down. Now, hmm. there's, you need to be a little bit careful here. These are the values that are actually important to you, not the ones that you'd like to have or that society would say are, are currently in vogue or whatever, yeah. right? So, you know, uh, loyalty would be one uh, uh, one of my top values. Freedom, as I mentioned, is yeah, a value yeah. of mine. Um, growth, development, surprisingly yeah. enough. Um, it's very similar so, to Yeah, so... Making good decisions then. So if you get your values, your your top 10, and you put them roughly in sequence, this is my first, this is my second or third. Again, it's not critical if you can't say which one is three, which time is four. Yeah. But ultimately, they're kind of your internal guideposts and rules. So then if you look at that, say you want to change job or you're looking to alter your career, or in September, you might, might, might use this. Um, you, you go and you look into the future and you say, okay, what's the likely outcome if i take this role okay and you measure it against your value and say okay do i have um in this role will there be growth will there be development yeah. do i have responsibility do i have freedom 
is there uh you know a sense of community family is there a mission is the purpose is the spiritual whatever the, yeah. the things are and you say okay yes it will have an outlet here it will have an outlet here it will and if you know if 80 percent of your values are um honored yeah in in that scenario then it's a good decision for you right yeah. Yeah. um and very easily the opposite is true as well so so if a client comes to me and they're unhappy about a scenario we do the value exercise we can look back and you know say okay um so give an example which is probably easy. this 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 girl hugely successful lady um had got into an organization uh, did well and then she uh, was asked to open a new um, a new division in, in in a new part of the world, and she went and she did, and she set it up from scratch, and and effectively took o- over two years, got it from no presence to absolutely humming, and she came through the door, and she basically could do it with her eyes closed at this stage. Yeah. Okay. Um, and she was looking to to to, to move on because she was effectively a little bit unchallenged or bored. Did her values exercise, and challenge and creativity um were one of her top ones and, and she had that while she was doing it but now mm. she she got it done and she needed yeah. to go on to the next thing so she could see why it wasn't a fit yeah and also see what she needed to do if she was going to make a jump a lot of people yeah. change they go with the frying pan into the uh, into the fire and then you know they might make another change and there's a lot of risk in it because they don't know and they have no metric for measuring or making decisions mm-hmm. So this is a very useful way of making decisions that are in line with you and therefore good decisions for yourself. I'm trying not to agree with you on everything, but that one is the is the one that I would agree. (laughs) I would agree with the most. And I think it's I did an exercise of my own values a couple of years ago. I had a coach actually at the time and I had like a wall of twenty values Mm. and he challenged me to say, You're in a you're in a dinghy that's sinking. Mm. You can only hold on to five of these values or you're going to sink. And I've used that in coaching myself since and it was good and it nailed it down to five or, or six. Yes. Um, and again, I map everything to those now and it's a, a measure of am I happy doing what I'm doing? I'm only hitting one of my five or six values here. There you go. There's your answer. And, you know, you shouldn't have to look much deeper than that. Or, or if you're looking at something else like doing this, yeah. the podcast touches nearly five of my values of course it does because otherwise you wouldn't be doing it and this is this is uh something that you're doing in addition to your to your primary role um you know i mean ultimately you can go against your values right um but if you were to it would be good for a specific reason and for a specific period of time so you say okay look at freedom and and so on or this and that is important to me um but i'm going to take this role for 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 a year and I'm going to do it and I'm going to learn and I'm going to get well paid and I'm just going to park the, the, mm. those things and know, you know, the clock is, is counting. Whereas you go into that role um, and you're not sure why you just changed from another position that, was, that wasn't that was as suitable for you and you're going from one unknown into another and you haven't figured out why it's not working for you or what you need to do to make it work. Yeah. You know, so, so where you're at and, and what's important to you and... You know, the thing about values is is that, you know, wherever you go, there you are. So they're going to be, wherever you land up, they're going to have a, an impact on you. And uh, they tend not to change that much over, over your life. Their sequencing may change a little bit. But roughly speaking, the research that I've read have said that, uh, you mm. know, roughly your top 10 or 12 for the majority of your scenario um, tend to be similar enough unless you deliberately try and 
Dan either. And when do you think they form? Or do they? Mm, that's that's a very interesting question. Um, I would say the majority of them, well, you know, by the time you're seven, a lot of your values are, you know, because your environment, your family and so on are, mm. are in place. But, you know, about you're, you're not fully cooked brain-wise uh, fully developed until your mid-twenties, so about 25, so anywhere up to that stage. But what, mm. what was it? Was it Christian Brothers? Jesuit said, give me the bite till seven, I'll show you the man, you know? <laughs> yeah, something okay. along those lines. So yeah. I think the older I'm getting, the more the, the, that the old sayings are proving to be more valid. Cliches have meanings, I think. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah that's how they're getting cliches. But yeah. even, even the science is, is, is backing them up now, which yeah. makes it okay because logic's important. Going so we're up, up an hour twenty four right so I don't want to wow. go too much Can longer. I do a lot of editing. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm actually not going to edit any of this. And like, there could be a whole show on values here. Just mm. one other question that I've kind of struggled with: identity. Mm. Uh, and like, so does your identity is a, a, a sum of your values and and beliefs? And what does that mean to you? Or how would you define identity? That's a that's an interesting question. I, I wouldn't have given that much thought. Um, you don't have to answer it either. It's just one yeah. I can't, I can't really properly get down myself yet. Like, and I'm trying to research it a little bit. But yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, is your identity fixed? Who are you? I, I read research a couple of years ago, and it said that your your image of yourself, your understanding of yourself, is about ninety percent what happens in your mind in terms of your own self-taught, your own thinking, your own um, views of the world uh, and so on. And the mind obviously goes all the time, whereas it's inverts the, um, and about 10% of what you do and, and, and in the world. Uh, and the inverse, inverse is true then that for other people, it's about 90% who you are and what they think of you is about what you do in the world and how you are. Uh, outside your mind versus what's in your mind. So I think a lot of us have a very different um, view of our identity internally to what others would say it is. So yeah. maybe um, closing that gap. Maybe even asking others what their view of you as your identity could mm, be. Could and be a whole 360-degree feedback yeah, and yeah. all that is, is a way. But generally speaking, um, somebody... Uh, Somebody said, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but, you know, never underestimate human beings' uh, ability for self-delusion, you know, mm. uh, that... Good and bad, probably. Or, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we... It's, it's difficult, and this is where coaching comes in uh, to a very large degree. It's very difficult to be in the picture and looking at the frame, you know. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it fair, it's hard. Self-awareness is a, is, is, is a difficult um thing for, for for human beings because again it's 90 percent in our head versus 10 percent out and, and and getting that balance so that's where authenticity comes back in so you know who you are uh whether you're on stage or projecting or playing a role or whatever and who you are when you're not if those are if the gap between those two is, is smaller and smaller i think that's progress as a human being you know yeah no that's a it's a good a good answer i guess there's no perfect answer to that because i haven't asked anyone it before yeah, it just yeah, kind of led on like so now, yeah. it's just one i'm fascinated with mm. um just maybe a few other kind of wrap up questions what's the the best piece of advice you've ever been given or that advice that you could even give out 
Hmm. I, I certainly have got a lot of advice over over time from from various different people who've crossed our path. I mean, um, for over a number of different people uh, in various. When I when I when I worked in America, there was a guy who uh, was a recovered alcoholic. I find that was very interesting that they'd been to the depths and come back. Yeah. He gave me a lot of good advice. And then when I came back, there was a, a guy in Limerick, um, past Brian Boland, who was, who was, again, in the same scenario, found it very interesting. But the best piece of advice that, are, are that I've gotten in, in recent times is that you gain freedom through commitment, as I said earlier on. I think that, I think that has huge value in it because you... You you, you 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 do the inputs. The result will be what it'll be. You're after hope. You can get the you can get the gain or you can get the loss, uh, but you can walk away with peace of mind, which is which is the ultimate currency, really. Yeah, cool. And if we were to say maybe as a final question to to tie it back to the one percent better, if there was mm. a few kind of tips or tricks that you typically give out, I know on the speech that night you give out some 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 good ones. You know, a few things that come to mind that. People could take on board that they could do better, you know, be it forming habits, breaking habits. Not, you know, yeah, well, that the whole area of habits is very interesting. But you yeah. know, ultimately, I suppose, you know, it comes back to a cliche again, there can be no growth without awareness, you know. So the yeah. first thing is, you know, no matter what level you're at in, in whatever environment, there's way more in you. You're capable of, you know, like, as we said at the start of this podcast, one percent is is just marginal gain. We're all capable of much more than that, but one percent consistently is massive. Mm-hmm. So, so just know that there's way more in you is is, is the first thing. Uh, the second thing is the quickest way to change um, anything is by changing your mind. You know, and you can change your mind in a heartbeat. So, get your head in the game uh, in, in a useful way. So, when did you do something very very well? I love to repeat that. Um, and the third thing, which is always an interesting stat, is that, you know, you're 500% more likely to keep a commitment to somebody else than you are to yourself. So if I said to you, uh, Rob, you know, it's a bank holiday weekend, but I'll see you Monday morning at 6 a.m. and we'll do a, we'll do a 10-mile jog, you know. If if I wasn't meeting you when the alarm goes off at half five, you know, I'd be much more likely to turn over uh, for a snooze uh, then, you know, if I was just going on my own, whereas I'm meeting you or others, I'm much more likely to keep that commitment. So, so use that leverage in your on yourself. I mean, there's apps now and stuff that use negative leverage where you make a commitment and uh, you know to lose weight or whatever it is, and if you fail to deliver it, you've got to pay. Uh, you know, uh, give some money to 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 a charity or people that you absolutely do not agree with you, you know? could actually like, see if i get the, the podcast onto that uh, charitable list maybe people can, yeah, can contribute to it force them to listen to it on pain of debt you know yeah. but listen whatever grows the numbers you know yeah grows exactly numbers, you know? exactly three really good ones there is one or two other questions i want to ask just because of the the conversation we had if you were to recommend, I'm going to steal Tim Ferriss's, you why know, not, why not? Why hopefully like he's obviously listening yeah, as well. Course, so he's yeah. looking to improve that, yeah. Yeah, that recommendation. Uh, yeah. uh, a book recommendation given, you know, the background of psychology and human development, mm. one or two ones that you think um, would be good for, for me to read, even if nobody else does. I like, uh, have you read Dan Pink, Everybody Sells? No, but I've, it's on my list. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's the problem is like, yeah, I've a list of list. books. Yeah, and and Amazon. Um, 
that's that's um, that's a good book. And and again, it's not from a sales point of view, or he's not in the sales business and so on. But he just logged all his time for a couple of weeks and said, okay. What, what am I trying to achieve? What am I? And, and he looked back and reviewed. And basically, he was trying to get people to do stuff or influence and persuade uh, to get things done. And, and, and he wrote this book on it called Everyone Sells Them Think That's Good. Um, the All Blacks um, Legacy book is a very easy read and a good book. Yeah. It talks about culture. and Second, I think you're the second or third to recommend that one. Yeah, on yeah. Shows it's, is very it, good. It, yeah. it, it, it's, it's a quick good. one. Um, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Have you read it? Yeah, I haven't I, read it yet. Like, I've no. given out. Well, it's great. It, it, it's it's ideal because you can literally dip in and out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And the there's there's book. multiple areas, and literally it's two or three pages, and you get something. So yeah, it's a it's 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 a good book, and I've given it to a number of clients. Say, okay, cool. you don't have to uh, you know to read it. It's, it's a big yeah it's a big yeah tone, yeah yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, is it uh, uh, faster, better, quicker? or Quicker, better, faster. Um, is a book. I just gave it to a client. I'm trying to see. It's it's a black. I think a faster, quicker, better. Okay. Uh, I'll, I, I, what I'll, I'll do is the I'll find these and put links on it yeah, as well. Yeah, in yeah, the, yeah. yeah. But that's, that's an out. interesting book. Some interesting research on it, and uh, you know, it's it's. I like I, I like. Again, I haven't really got away from reading without getting knowledge out of it. So I tend yeah. to read books that are along those lines. You Do know. you, you know, I, I keep saying this is the last question, but I just want to keep mm. <coughs> habits I've tried to develop. When I listen to podcasts, you take on so much information and it's kind of passive, you know. Mm. And even when I started doing coaching, I was reading books and you'd, you'd read it. Oh, that's really good. Put it down. I've kind of got into more of an active mm. reading where I'm writing stuff down. As Do you do stuff? To, to make it stick or how, how would you extract learnings from it and actually put it into practice how does that um, what, work what for you I do not every single book but in, in an ideal scenario what I do is I'd read uh, the book I'd highlight and, and make notes and then I try to summarize the book in one page mind map that I, I have software for doing mind maps oh, yeah. so I do a mind map of the of the book and see how it's all interrelated. Okay. So um, that's that scenario, and one of my one of my uh, goals for, for for this year is is you know because there's so many books and you're interested in so many things is one book a week as a minimum completed and and mind map it at the weekend and get it done. Right, you right, know? right. Um, you don't do multiple parallels books uh, reading three or four at the same time well, or any of that sort yeah, of. It's I, hard, isn't it? Yeah, I. I yeah, I well, I'd have ones beside the bed. I have ones in the office. I have, you know, I always have a book in the car because, you know, if you're waiting between meetings, I'd listen to podcasting while I'm driving. Yeah. I'd have uh, the odd audio book, you know. And so there's so much information. Uh, it tends to go in and it tends to come back out when it's when it's applicable um, with the right client or the right sales team or the right issue. So um, the more good stuff that comes in, I think was it one of the Tim Ferriss guys that he inferred good stuff sticks. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast mm, today. I was to him now, yeah, we talked about him, earlier. and he's like, you know, three hour, four hour podcasts, and uh, they were talking about learning, and it really struck that these guys would be you'd be reading something, learning something, but until you actually teach it, it never mm. really 
it never really sticks properly and that you can actually get up and say this is how this is done and until you're actually in that mode it's very it's you're not under that extra pressure or whatever the zone almost to, to yeah. stick and, and you know i mean who's the most motivated at, uh, at the motivational speakers conference the speaker you know so yeah. so who's the most knowledgeable the person who's giving the information because the whole process of uh, 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 of redoing it when you know, when I, when I trained as a coach, I I um, then went on because it was very new and we were the first people in Ireland and so on, or one of the first. Uh, I went on and trained about another 250 coaches over the next couple of years, cool. um, myself and other lads. So, because at the time, coaching was just coming out and we felt it was very important. Yeah, Somebody yeah. went for coaching, they met a coach, not someone pretending to be a coach, which yeah. was, was a huge difference. So, again, the process of teaching and learning... Um, is is very valuable it's very valuable you know? definitely last question just around coaching and kind of motivational speakers is there anyone that you actually see as a as an influencer that you would look up to that you think has uh, validity or mm, that's, that, that, you know coming back to currency being the authenticity um i've listened to a lot of brian tracy stuff earlier on but again i know someone who met him who wasn't that impressed uh, obviously, Tony Robbins. Uh, What's your take on Tony? Uh, I mean, I think his stuff is valuable. You know, he's a father of coaching. That's BS, to be honest. Um, and did you I, see him last year when he was at the Pendulum? He was here in Dublin last uh, year. No, I didn't. I didn't no, go either. I didn't. I didn't. Um, he's got a great story. He's done very well, and a lot of stuff is valuable. I met a, a, one of the guys that I trained in the coaching who uh, crewed for him for a couple of years, who I hadn't met for a while. Right. And he gave me a bit of background knowledge and uh, insight into what happens behind the scenes. Okay. Which was, 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 was less than uh, uh, complimentary. Okay. Um, but I think every... I mean, you're just looking for a no-go. I like Brandon Brashard. I think he's good. I like Tim Ferriss. I think he's good. Um, I think anyone... Anyone that, that can give you information that that's can be useful at a moment in time um autobiographies are probably the best source you know i mean mm. um shane warren the, the australian cricketer right. uh, his 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 autobiography is very useful for one particular thing okay um, so anybody that's achieved um to a level that has a book whatever that area i think you can you can get a lot of nuggets from 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 them individually and obviously books are are, are written for a purpose um, but there's always no and, and generally what I find is that they have a talent they have a skill they have an opportunity they have an experience but their the mind is the thing that makes a difference from being ordinary to, to, to being extraordinary at whatever top of the pyramid sort top of stuff of pyramid, yeah. brilliant right we'll wrap it up John thanks so much for that what we typically do at the end. I want you to give yourself a bit more of a plug. How people can get in touch with you. Obviously, my global listenership is is on the rise. I think I've gone up by two uh, percent from. I won't even give out the numbers, but it's you know, it, it this is it going it's to be progress. A, it's and you're going to be looking for a one percent. Uh, exactly, progress, exactly. Yeah, Every yeah, week yeah. it's getting better. So yeah, I've how got can, the, I've got new servers in place, you know, to deal just with to deal with the load. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can <laughs> people get in touch with you? Uh, potentially, yeah. you know, want to, to the, services. The, the simplest thing is um, to 
website is um, youfirstcoaching.com, you know, www. as I say in the old fashioned language. <laughs> um, and my contact details are there. Is it y o u or you first? Uh, you, as in the letter U. Just to be in case. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Some, some other websites getting lots of hits if you don't. There go is, there. yeah. So ufirst.com. Youfirstcoaching.com. Youfirstcoaching.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so happy to help anyone in any way if I can at all, if it's suitable. But ultimately, human beings are amazing. We're capable of so much more. Uh, the avenue is the hedge as the quickest uh, Ackham's razor route. And, um, you know, commit, do your best, and, and then give yourself a break and enjoy the process. Brilliant. John, that's brilliant. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Giving up so much time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, as you can probably tell. Uh, I think I've left a, a bunch of stuff on the table here that we could maybe talk about it at another point when, uh, be happy to you know. do so. This has been my favorite podcast with you so far. So far. That's, that's good to know. Thanks, <laughs> First John. First and only. First and only. You never know. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Hey folks, you got to the end of another show. Thank you for persisting. I hope you enjoyed it as much as the others. So I'm just going to put a quick shout out for feedback. You can get in touch with me through the site. You can get in touch through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all on the robofthegreen.ie site and you can take it from there. Also, I'd love if you listen to on iTunes, leave a comment, give us a score out of five on the stars that are so much commonplace these days. I would really appreciate that if you did it. Whether it's good or bad, I can certainly take that. We'll, we'll make some improvements as we go. And yeah, I, I'll keep it short. I hope you enjoyed and I look forward to having you back for some more 1% Better podcasts in the future. Thank you and good luck.